This week was an incredible week, watching the body be the body and watching people step up at Village and serve. We had VBS this week, so it's a little weird to have chairs back in the sanctuary. I, I thought we should just leave the little shields and have everyone sit on those this morning, <laughs> and, um, but maybe there would be a, 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 an uprising. But it was an amazing week of, of the body praying, of stepping up and serving, we had I, I, uh, each day somewhere between 120 and 137 kids, so it was a, a huge amount of kids. I think Joy said there was close to 160 unique kids. Is that 158 um, kids that came at some point during the week, and we saw some decisions for Christ, and they heard the gospel. So an amazing time of the body stepping up and doing the work that we are entrusted with, being entrusted with the gospel. So thank you for your faithfulness in that way. Um, Also, I encourage you to pray this week. Each week we have someone to pray for, but this week be praying for Kayla Thompson. She's up at um, Indicott, Washington with Fred and Cinda, helping with their VBS up there. And so pray for their week of VBS, that they will be able to reach some of the kids in their community. In a couple of weeks, my family's looking forward to going camping, and we're going to take a road trip, a little bit different this time, where we go to a campground, stop for a couple of days, then drive to another one. So lots of setting up and down the trailer. And we have a little pop-up trailer, and one of the things in our family is that everyone has their job, and that's how it runs smoothly, is everyone has a role, and we get to campsite and unhook, and I back the trailer in, and Jeffrey and Mark put blocks under the wheels, and... Susie helps with the leveling, and and so everyone's doing something as we set up and take down camp. What would happen if someone decided not to do their job? Let's say that Jeffrey and Mark decided, you know what, I don't think we need blocks under the wheels this time. So the middle of the night, we're rolling down the campground. (laughs) Is their role important? Absolutely. Each role is important. Now, one year, I, and I think I told this story before, so I won't go into detail, but one year I forgot to secure the hitch on the ball of the car. And for those of you that ever towed anything, that's bad. <laughs> because I didn't even lock it. And, and so we hit the first bump, um, well, the first major bump on the East LA interchange, and the trailer came off. And, um, and so that affected our, our trip that trip, and affected... <laughs> our vacation, and we stopped and had to get the trailer. Awkward place to stop if you've ever driven through there. But my not doing my role affected the whole family and affected our trip, and everyone sort of had to pay the price for that as we were in the middle of a busy freeway hoping not to die. (laughs) This morning, as we come to the church and we talk about um, Paul's instruction to the church, Paul begins to give some instructions of how a church should behave how a church should function to be entrusted with the Gospel, to be God's church, to accomplish its purpose. In 1 Timothy 3.15, a verse that we'll get to in a few weeks, 3.14 um, 3, and 16, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. And so we're in this section of behaviors that Paul is saying are expected from a church so that we will know how to behave in the household of God. And some of these issues are some of the most pressing issues in our culture today, issues that are tearing the church apart. When we think of roles, the first thing we think about is male-female roles, don't we? 
and we see debates of, of mainline denominations ordaining female pastors and can a, a female lead a church? What should a male do? And at the same time, we're seeing mainline denominations have statistics like one in five attenders are male. Um, some of the really good ones are one in four attenders are male. I was reading an article um, of one of the mainline denominations in Canada, and um, it was a female pastor, and the pastor is, is, is actually proud of the fact that they're up to 20% of their congregation is male. Up to. She said very few other churches even have that much. And it goes on to, to talk about that um, she doesn't understand why her and her lesbian partner love boys and they have a couple of boys. And Do you see the problem? It's a problem not only of roles, but of compromise and of veering away from God's Word of how we ought to behave in the church and how the family of God ought to behave. And so today we come to a passage that has been used inappropriately, has been used as a weapon, has been hated, has been despised, but has been misunderstood. And today we come to this passage and our first premise is that this is God's Word. This is our standard. Culture is not our standard. And so even if today we read some things and, and study some things that we're like, man, culture would hate that, that's okay. Because this is our standard. And so I start with that as we come to God's Word and try to understand what is being taught and, and accept what is being taught. Let's start with a word of prayer. Dear Lord God, I pray that You would open Your Word to us. That You would reveal to us truth that comes from Your wisdom, not from our understanding our meager understanding. Lord, I pray that You would help us to behave as You want the church to behave so that we can be about Your business. In Jesus' name, Amen. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8-15. through 1 Timothy chapter 2, we'll be starting at verse 8. And Paul here has just been talking about, I want, to, I want prayer in the church for all people, all kinds of prayers, because I desire all to be saved. And so he's talking about our mission, the gospel that we're entrusted with, that we're to be moving forward with that. And now he comes to just some, some practical things of how a church should operate. And we start with verse 8 because so many people leave off verse 8 and use this just to talk about a woman's role in the church, whereas the passage talks about both men and women in the church and what each of their responsibilities are. Because God created humankind, male and female. And He created each with differences, with strengths, with abilities to accomplish what He wants us to accomplish. And so we start with verse 8, and it starts with a word to the men. Verse 8 says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Simple verse, and we may, oh, that's really about prayer and the, the last one, but let's unpack this a little bit. Men, the instructions for us are as we are to engage and to lead. Engage and to lead. To fulfill our God-given responsibility. Just looking through verse 8 a little bit. I desire then. And I want to stop and just talk even about that real quickly. Some have, have used that phrasing to write off this whole passage and say, well, this is just Paul's opinion. 
The I desire then, bulimai in the Greek, was a, a word that was used for apostolic instruction or apostolic authority. Make no mistake, this is a command. This is not specific just to this situation. This is a command that Paul is giving, the Holy Spirit is giving through Paul to the church. I desire then that in every place the men should pray. Every place there probably refers to all the various house churches. At the time, they didn't have big church buildings and the church in Ephesus would have been meeting at various houses. And so Paul is saying, men, you need to be praying at every one of your meetings. You need to be stepping up to the plate, leading worship, leading the spiritual direction of this congregation. Some have said, well, men there, you know, that may, is that men, is that women, is that all people? Paul actually uses a different word here that can only mean men. And so this is an instruction, men, to us. This is an instruction that Paul says, I want you men to pray. And he's talking about public prayer here, leading in the worship of the church. And he'll go on in our next section and talk about elders and talk about some requirements for that. But the, the question here that he starts with, the starting point of understanding roles in the church is an instruction to men to step up and engage. To step up and lead. That can be hard sometimes. That can be hard if there's a good football game on Sunday morning. It can be hard if it's uncomfortable and we just don't like doing that. It, it, all kinds of things can get in the way of that. Sports and maybe Little League. But, but God's instruction for His church is for us to step up and take a leadership role. Remember a story of, of one wife um, who was alongside the road with a flat tire and uh, another car came up and the guy felt sorry for her and gets out and says, can I help you change your tire? And he's helping change the tire and just as he's letting the jack down at the end, the wife says, could you, could you do that gently? My husband's in the back seat sleeping. Men, don't ever let that be you. <laughs> We step up. We help our families. We lead our families. We step up and we help our church. And we lead our church. I desire then that in every men, in every place, the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. And here Paul gives us three different qualities of God-pleasing prayer, three different things to watch out for, maybe three different distractions to prayer if we don't do these things. But one note before we go on that's going to apply to all of our talk this morning, just by way of interpretation, if you went through our Playing with Fire class, we talked a lot about culture and how do you take cultural instructions that were just for the culture of the time and how do we know what is timeless? And in each of these instructions, that's the question and that's the key question that's up for debate. What is timeless and what is cultural? Some people say, Everything is a command. And so if that's the case, then we should be praying like this, lifting holy hands up in prayer. If that's the case, then on the way in, and in fact, we could do it right now, we need to greet each other with a holy kiss. No one's doing it. Because we understand that that is a cultural app, <laughs> that that's a cultural application of a timeless principle. When God said greet each other with the holy kiss, he was talking about being welcoming, being hospitable, um, greeting each other in an accepting way. And so we would look at our culture, how do we do that? We do that with a you know, good handshake. Some of you like to hug, so we do, they, you do that with a hug. 
And so those are the things that the interpretation note is we have to say, okay, what is timeless? What is culture? Some have gone the other way and said the whole Bible is cultural. We don't have to listen to any of it. And that's not right. That's not true because this is the inspired, revealed Word of God. And so what we look for is a way to to balance the eternal principle and the cross-cultural principle. In this case, the eternal principle is that men should step up and pray. They should lead spiritually in the church. Paul's not saying our, our hands have to be lifted this way. In fact, they didn't always pray that way. They had other ways of praying as well. But he's referring to the most common way that they prayed. And he's saying you need to do this. But the points that he makes that are timeless, the principles that he he makes are three things. The first is that you lift holy hands. Holy hands. And if we're to have effective prayer, prayer that honors God, then holiness is part of the equation. Our attitude must be right. The holy hands refers to morally pure, especially in what we do. Clean. We sang, give us clean hands. If we don't have clean hands, it's coming to God in confession and asking for forgiveness. Psalm 24, 3 and 4, as the psalmist is sharing what God desires and who can come to God, says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So men were called to engage and lead in in the spiritual aspect of the congregation. But one of the ways we do that is by seeking holiness in our own lives. Seeking purity in our whole lives. Coming on Sunday morning confessed and ready to meet God. Because if we have sin in our lives, if we walk in those doors and we haven't confessed and we haven't made things right with God, we are in no position to step up and take a role of leadership in the church. So Paul says they need to be holy hands. Second thing he says, he goes on and says, pray without anger. Without anger. Talking about our relationships with each other. Do we have a forgiving spirit or do we hold grudges? The idea of anger had the idea of indignation toward each other. Frustration with each other that could lead to hatred for each other. And that is something that will disrupt worship, won't it? If we come in and we're thinking, man, I just can't stand so-and-so. I can't believe they're here. Our worship dies. And we have put someone else, something else, as an idol over God Almighty. And what's interesting is the context here is I, I want men to step up and pray with holy hands, without anger. And so the, the idea here is that men were responsible to, for the spiritual health of our congregation. We're responsible for relationships in the congregation. Now I know sometimes relationships are messy, aren't they? It's like, you know what? If I just ignore it, it'll go away. I don't want to deal with it. Those two people are fighting or people in my family are fighting. But it is disrupting the family of God. If I see two of my kids fighting and they can't stand each other and they're yelling and screaming at each other, as a dad, should I get involved and stop it and instruct or should I ignore it and hope it goes away? As a dad, my God-given responsibility is to get involved and say, no, this will not happen in my home. Whereas 
Here, Paul is using the family as an idea for the church, because we're a church family, and he says, men, step up and lead, and make sure there's not anger. Make sure there's not those kinds of animosities between each other. Ephesians 4.31, a passage where Paul deals with much the same things, and he's about to deal with unity in the church, and the church working together, just like he is in 1 Timothy. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And he uses that same word for anger. He says, just don't let it happen. It does not have a place here. But in that passage, he goes on and gives the antidote. And he says, be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. If forgiveness needs to happen, if anger needs to be dealt with, Men, part of our role is to step up and make sure that happens. It's not always convenient. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. But it's how God wants His church to operate. Last word He gives for for quality of a God-pleasing prayer is without quarreling. Very similar concept, but this has to do with disputing a spirit of controversy. The church at Ephesus at this time was having, the false teachers were coming in and stirring up all these different controversies about genealogies, about little points of, of doctrine or whatever, and it was disrupting, it was disturbing the church. And Paul says, no, there should be an attitude of peace as we come to prayer. Attitude of peace. Dealing with disputes, making sure they have no place. So men were called to engage and to lead. To lift holy hands in prayer, which was talking about public worship in these house churches. To engage in that and make sure that we are ready with the right spirit to worship our God Almighty. It's a tall order right there. Paul now goes on and he talks to women. And and he says, okay, that's... That's men what I want you to do. And in verse 9, in verse 9, he starts to talk to women and he says, likewise, which means he's tying them together. These are instructions to men and to women. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. And this is the first of two broad instructions he gives to women. The first is draw attention to God, not to self. Draw attention to God, not to self. See, they understood, they, they understood what was going on here. They, they had problems with what was going on here. It was, it was customary at the time that women would try to look like the Roman empress. Or they would try to dress in a way like people that worshipped the goddess Diana in Ephesus would, would worship. And we'll see this in a couple of the subpoints here. But um, one of the authors said, Women wore their hair in enormously elaborate arrangements with braids and curls interwoven or piled high like towers and decorated with gems and or gold and or pearls. We also saw that women were copying the harlots and the temple prostitutes because they were considered the beautiful women of the time and the women that men would want. And so the women in the church were starting to dress like that and the the fashion and the culture was coming into the church. And Paul says there's no place for that. 
There's no place for that in the church because it is not honoring to God. It is giving in to the culture and giving in to what, how Satan is trying to tempt and distract the church. Draw attention to God, not to self. A godly attitude leading to godly service is beautiful. It is the most beautiful thing, and it is lasting beauty. Paul here is is giving instructions that apply to even more than just worship. He's using the body of Christ as an example here, but he's using it as an example of life, how to conduct life, how to be part of a family, how to be part of a household. And he's talking that genuine adornment is not external, it's internal. It's godliness of the heart that shows itself and works. So the things that he mentions there, if you look at verse 9, he goes through three different things. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. We'll take those three together. That's the first item. He says women dress modestly. He starts with clothes. He starts with what people see. Dress modestly. We've talked about this with the youth. We've talked about this with our young ladies. And I know that this is a, a challenging subject. My daughter already has a sense of style. She already comes in and says, Daddy, that doesn't match. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Thank you. Show me what does. She, she just has this innate sense of style, but Satan will use that, that ability to, to help her family, Satan will use that to distract and to become a priority. And so Paul here uses several words. Respectable apparel. That which is decent, especially in the sexual realm. Because so much of the dress of the, of the time had to do with sexual temptation and sexual being provocative sexually. And so Paul says, be respectable. Your dress should not be sexual in any way. The second thing he says is be modest. Same word as our main point, but be modest, be tasteful. And, and the idea here is not just external, but internal as well. How, how is a woman supposed to be? She's supposed to act modestly and tastefully. She's supposed to dress modestly and tastefully. And the idea is a respect for the feelings of others. A respect for the opinions of others. If you go back to the etymology of the word, it comes from the word shameful. And he's not saying women dress shamefully. Don't go there. He's saying modesty is aware of what is shameful. What is shameful to be seen in public in? And so many times the argument I hear is, well, that's a man issue. They just need to deal with their thoughts. But the instruction in God's Word is, be aware of the opinion of others. Be aware of the thoughts of others. And ladies, this is a huge issue in the church. Especially our young ladies. Modesty is how you support and minister to your brothers in Christ. When they come through the door, do you want them to worship God or do you want them to worship sex? That's the question. And how you dress affects the mind. I can remember times teaching Sunday school where there were parts of the room that I couldn't even look that direction because of what some women were wearing, because of what, how, how some, some women were sitting 
And I praise God because we have talked about this over the years as a church and developed a culture of modesty, a culture that doesn't allow that. But women, and especially young women, talk to your dads. Talk to your dads about what you wear. And this doesn't mean you have to be frumpy. It doesn't mean you have to be out of style. It may mean you have to work a little harder. It may mean you have to layer. I'm not going to get into women's fashion. Paul, incidentally, wasn't trying to to create a fashion guide here. But he's saying, in the body of Christ, we should think about each other. We should lift each other up and watch out for each other. The last phrase he uses is self-control. Mastery of your own appetites. Mastery of your need for attention. Of drawing attention to yourself. Of moderation. See, it's what's inside that controls the modesty issue. What we wear does represent what's in the heart. And I challenge you to have a heart that is seeking to lift your brothers in Christ up. To help them to bring honor to God Almighty. So dress modestly. The next section there when he talks about braided hair, gold or pearls or costly attire in verse 9 there, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. The idea here is beware of those things that draw attention to self. Beware of those things that draw attention to self. And that's the timeless principle. Paul is not saying that you can never wear jewelry that you can never wear a specific kind of jewelry or you can never do your hair in a certain way. He's referring to these, these, this tendency to copy the prostitutes, copy the empresses of the time, to copy the secular women of the time, many of which had those styles had sexual aspects or, or were sexual offers. But all of them were to draw attention to self, especially when it talks about costly attire. It was a way of status. Well, if I wear this or if I dress this way, I have more status. I'm accepted a little bit more. And the principle here is don't try to draw attention to yourself. Draw attention to God Almighty. That's our mission. That is our goal. It's the excess that Paul is forbidding here. The showy displays. The third thing he mentions there as he goes on in verse 10 not with braided hair, gold, or, per- or pearls, or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness. This is the point of this section. Accessorize with good works that show godliness. Accessorize with good works that show godliness. He's bringing them back to their purpose, to their responsibility. He's already challenged men with their responsibility for women. He says, your responsibility isn't how you're dressing other than being modest. It's not to draw attention to yourself, but it's to draw attention to God through what you do. Devote your energy and time to good works, not vanity. And how Paul was talking, that would have taken them hours to do those things. Hours that could have been spent serving the kingdom. Hours that could have been spent serving their families and and raising their families. He's saying your time and energy should be about God's work, not vanity. What are you accomplishing in the kingdom? And are you finding significance in what God has asked you to do for the kingdom? Or are you looking outside of that for, for significance in how you look or what you wear? The significance question is a question for all of us. Is it enough to do what God has asked us to do? Is it enough 
And if not, why not? Flip over to 1 Timothy 5.10. 1 Timothy 5.10. What are the good works that are mentioned here? And having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. And Paul here defines good works a little bit later. We'll get to that in a few weeks. But he's defining it as taking care of her family, taking care of the church family. Those are the primary responsibilities that Paul says God has placed on Eve and then women. Where would we be if no one took care of the church family? I shudder to think that. All responsibilities are needed. All roles are needed. So Paul starts there with with women to draw attention to God, not to self. Men, let me just, just mention something to you. When we talk about the modesty issue and the beauty issue, the question for us is what do we notice? What do we applaud? If women are always seeing our eyes are going to women that aren't modest, that our eyes are going to women that dress in certain ways, then we are giving approval to that and reinforcing that. So how are we going to reinforce true beauty? Beauty that comes from within, from many of our women here, so many that serve God in a holy and righteous way. We need to to praise that and prioritize that. Then we get to verses 11 through 15, which are the verses that either anger or confuse people. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Lots in these few verses. But the second thing that, that Paul is instructing and God is asking of women, follow well with a sweet and gentle spirit. Follow well with a sweet and gentle spirit. Model proper respect for authority. And this is a difficult passage. This is a passage people have argued over and tried to figure out how to interpret. And in the last 30 years, there have been more new interpretations of this this passage than at any other time in history. But I urge you, let's just read what the Bible says. Let's take it at face value. Knowing that God is not against women, He is not against men, but He has designed men and women with roles that complement each other and that are both needed. And when we get outside of those roles, either as men or as women, things fall apart. And that's where he's going to go in this passage. So let's just look at a couple of these these words. The first point that I mentioned there is women are not inferior or less significant than men. We are equal before God. We are both made in the image of God. But He has given us different roles that are difficult for both to accomplish. And Satan tempts both to renege on. First thing that's mentioned there, let a woman learn quietly. And some have interpreted this as women should never speak when you walk on the grounds. Many of you have violated that already today. 
Good news, that's not what it's saying. The word for quietly there is actually the same word that we saw in verse 2 last, last week that we talked about. It's, it's freedom from turmoil. Freedom from the stress of that turmoil. And so it's the idea that there's no disturbance. It's peaceful. And so quiet does not mean silent here. It's the idea of talking in a way, being respectful that is peaceful. Holding your peace. Holding your objections. At the time, we know from, from later verses, the young women in the Ephesus church were busybodies going around and gossiping and stirring up things with their words. And Paul is saying, no, a godly woman is quiet. Is quiet. That's a concrete display of submission. It's the same word that's used in 2 Thessalonians 3.12. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. It's not meaning that you can never speak when you go to work. That's problematic. You won't have a job. But it's saying how we work, the kind of attitude and atmosphere we bring is everything. And so Paul says, women, I instruct you to to come into the household of God with quietness, free from disturbance, peaceful, holding your tongue. Second thing he says there in, in that verse is in, in all submissiveness. Learn quietly with all submissiveness. And the idea is coming under authority. The word all there is significant because Paul is showing how far reaching this is. This applies to every situation in the household of God. Because it's an attitude. It's a lifestyle. But again, it's the same word that is used of that we submit to God that we submit to each other, that all things, all creation submits to Christ, that a wife submits to her husband. And so it's an idea of showing deference to, showing honor to, of respecting and following. And again, it's not saying here that women can't think or are less important. In fact, it says they should be learning which was so radical at the time because women weren't allowed to learn with the men. And so this was like, women would have been loving this passage, not hating this passage because it was revolutionary. And it's not saying that they were, they were ignorant or unable to learn or less important, but that God has instituted an order for how his church should work. And just like in a family, if that order is perverted, in a company, if the order is perverted, then things fall apart. So he asked women to, to learn in quietness, in that an attitude of submission. And then in verse 12, he goes on to explain tangibly what that means a little bit more. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Same word as in the prior verse. She is to remain quiet. And the two instructions here is that a woman is, is that a couple limits on women's ministry that publicly teaching men is limited to men. And that having authority over men is limited to men. And this goes back to the created order of things and how God gave responsibilities, how God gave abilities to, to accomplish those things. And he's saying, I hold the men re- responsible for the leadership. If something falls apart, I go to them. That's a heavy mantle to bear. And so to the women, he says, don't, don't get in the way of that. Don't get in the way of that, because we know that, that when women get in the way of that, then men will just step back and they won't lead. 
And they'll say, fine, I'll have nothing to do with this. And so women, by not teaching men, by not leading men, you actually are helping them step up and do what God has asked them to do. Some have said, well, what about teaching there? What does that have to do with anything? Teaching in the church, keep in mind, teaching in the church is not just to pass on information. In other settings, at work or in universities, information may be the primary aspect of teaching. The primary purpose of teaching in the church is to use information, is to use knowledge to what? To change lives. For sanctification. And so there is a sense in the church that when you are teaching, there is a sense of authority. It's built all the way through First and Second Timothy. In fact, in the, next, in the next section, and there were no chapters, no verses, in the very next section it talks about qualifications of elders who are to teach. And the next section, by the way, limits men of who are able to teach and who are able to, to step up with certain qualifications. It is that important that we get doctrine right. It is that important that we get teaching right to where it is, it is under the authority of the elders who have these requirements and are watching out for the church. And Paul is saying because of the authority that God has put in place, women should not go over that and teach men. And the teaching here, as we look through First and Second Timothy, deals with the doctrinal um, instruction of Scripture, taking Scripture and applying it to life, pretty much scriptural teaching that always has to do with authority. There are a whole number of other teaching opportunities that are allowed in Scripture. And we are so out of time. Um, and we'll come back to this. This is too important to, to stop here. And so I'd actually like to stop there, and hopefully half of you don't hate me at this point. But understand, we're exploring what God's Word says, and then we want to explore what Genesis 2 and 3 says, and why God puts this as an instruction for His church. But men, your, your job is to step up and lead, to engage. Women, it's to dress modestly and to follow well. And this is, these are the roles that God has designed into His church designed into how a church should operate to fulfill his purpose. We'll come back to this and explore this a little bit more and talk about what kinds of ministries are possible and and what God is intending for his church. But today, I challenge us to accept the roles that God has put into place because he has designed us from creation to fulfill those roles. And when we ignore the roles that God has designed, it is a slap in the face of the Creator and how He has designed things to work. Men, we can't be on the sidelines. We can't be spectators. We're to step up and lead. And I know the women in this church love it when we do that. And ladies, the response is to follow that leadership to support them and to encourage them to do that. We'll explore that a little bit more next week. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, our Father, I pray that we would be a church that follows You. That we would be a church that isn't afraid of Your Word, of why You teach this, of why You say this, but we're willing to follow it and trust that You know best.
Lord, I pray that you would continue to raise up men that are able to teach and able to lead in this church, that you will continue to raise up women who minister so well and, and whose beauty is their, their work for you and what they are doing in the body of Christ. Lord, that we can be representative of your family and what you desire for a family. In Jesus' name, amen.